What up, y'all? I'm Candace Sotis, and you are listening to Hungry and Humble Podcast, a podcast that explores the current lives and different journeys of women in the hospitality industry. Thanks for coming out. This week, we sit down with NOLA native Caitlin Guerin, a pastry chef and really great friend of mine, y'all. Uh, we explore her artistic beginnings, uh, about her becoming a CIA grad, and her focus on building her small new business. Let's jump right in. Hi, friend. Hi. I look a little crazy. I have like a deep conditioner in my hair. I took my braids out last night, so we just oh, like pulled yes. everything back. And how are you doing? You? Oh, <laughs> jinx. <laughs> um, I was baking this morning, prepping, um, trying to do photos for the boxes. So I was mm-hmm. like doing stuff that I'll that I'm changing for the boxes, so I can take photos for them. Um, and then hopefully start this up later today. I'm like making a couple cakes for people just because. Cool. Um, I'll allow you to introduce yourself. Great. Hey, my name is Caitlin. Um, I am from New Orleans, born and raised. Uh, I am a pastry chef and I was out in California, but I'm back in New Orleans now, um, riding out the COVID wave. Awesome. Let's talk about your growing up in New Orleans. How was that? What was that like? Um, I think growing up in New Orleans is such a a beautiful thing, right? Like something that you don't even realize is so beautiful and worldly and cultural um, until you leave and you see that the rest of the nation and the world is completely different. But I like grew up in a little bubble of beautiful music, beautiful food, beautiful culture, celebrations, mourning, grieving, all of these things that, you know, that I later in my life have found out revolve around food that has like made me so much more interested in in what I do now um, because of my heritage and my culture uh, growing up here. But it's, it's been, um, and I'd say moving back home too. Uh, so a bit of reference, grew up in New Orleans, went to school in upstate New York for undergrad, um, moved straight to California to the Bay Area and lived there for about six years. And I recently, as of January, moved back home with the intention of staying for a few months working um, in a restaurant and doing other things until uh, I felt like I had done my time in New Orleans and then the virus here we are in the current day, but um, yeah, it's a crazy coming back here after 10 years uh, back to New Orleans. It it has not changed. I was going to ask. (laughs) It has not changed other than the fact that my friends and people around me are older um, and more mature, like nothing, you know, pre- Pre Corona, yeah, pre Rona, pre Miss Rona. And yeah, I mean, just as much as like pre Katrina and post Katrina is a thing for me. I talked about this with my friends the other night. Like pre COVID and pro and pre COVID and post COVID are also going to be a thing. But yeah. pre COVID, I was really excited to like jump back into New Orleans and see what it had to offer for me because I growing up you know, was used to eating my mom's food, family's food. Like I never really ate in restaurants growing up because that was the same food that I have at home, even better, you know? 
um, I was too young to like go out to bars and clubs and experience the nightlife. So I had all the intention of doing all these things, coming back to festivals as a, as a grown woman too. and like just experiencing all of that. Um, but from what I understand, it was still all the same. <laughs> you know, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's so beautiful. The city is literally like nowhere else in the world. Um, yeah. and, I, and I know I talk a lot of smack about it. Uh, sometimes I mean, but. I mean, but only you could talk smack because you're from there. Exactly. That's how I feel about LA, girl. Like, I'll be complaining <laughs> for the days right. long about LA, be like, man, the traffic, man, right. like it's always, you know. And then somebody will be like, man, I hate LA because of this reason. I'm like, shut up, you don't know, yeah. you right. don't know, okay? Yeah. You can't talk about it. No, but, but really, no. I, mean, I rep LA anytime. anytime. Yeah, seriously, right, right or die. Um, but obviously, I, I have my own feelings about New Orleans. But I, I, I love the city. I, you know, once everything's back to normal, I, quote, yeah. I encourage everyone to put it on their bucket list, come out here, try the food, come for the experience. Don't come in the summer. Um, yeah, just your, your average do's and don'ts. Yes, I, I completely agree about the summertime thing because I spent a, a hot minute in the South. Well, not a hot mm-hmm. minute, like two and a half years in Charleston and man. Anytime somebody wanted to come and visit me, I was like, nope, you can't handle it, man. I promise you. <laughs> Even my mama, my mama was, is a Southern born, like raised in Missouri and Mississippi. And I told her, like, mama, she wanted to come out for her birthday in July. And I was like, you don't want to do it. Ellen, you is no. so hot. She's like, girl, please. I'm used to this heat. I grew up with this heat. Girl, she came out. She was sweating the whole time. And I didn't want to be the one to tell her I said so. But right. I'm always like, Mama, I told you. I I'm told back in October. <laughs> and she's she's like, not dying. I don't remember it being this hot. Oh, no. Oh, baby. Oh, no. Poor thing. Oh, but poor no, thing. Yeah, I would never wish that upon somebody. I would never. Because how awful is, you know, it's one thing to be really cold. Like for people, when you tell them like, come to San Francisco, but bring a jacket and they're like, I'll be fine. And they don't, but it's a whole nother thing to be extremely hot and not be able to control it. You just, there's nothing you could do. You could take off all your clothes. You still gonna be hot. So, <laughs> yeah. It's like you, you, you wear sweat for, uh, for like the entire time. Yeah, that's literally. Yes. It's, it's real gross. Absolutely. Absolutely. You, you can't, you can't because there's no way to escape it. You have to just ride it out. Since you were just saying about Nola and growing up and like having with your mom's food and all that jazz, (laughs) no pun intended, what is some of your first memories or like favorite memories surrounding food? Um, It doesn't have to be a particular one, but just you can expand on just like a feeling. Yeah, I mean... Gumbo is always like one of those first thing that pops into my mind. And that's so cliche, like I'm from New Orleans, but really, I mean, that is like a Sunday treat, you know, and, and it doesn't happen every Sunday, but maybe like once a Sunday, once a month, um, you spend your time in the kitchen all day helping your mom, like peel shrimp, you know, cut up sausages and all this stuff. And learn how to like crack the crabs and clean the crabs and you make this beautiful pot of gumbo um, that when I was younger I never really appreciated until 
and until we would go to and my my mom has nine siblings all of which they learned how to cook from my grandfather who used to be the um chef but he i mean he was the cook um in the navy so they all learned how to cook from him and they would all come together and we would all bring all the sisters and brothers gumbo together and like try other gumbos because <laughs> they're all different like nobody ever makes their gumbo the same you know mm -hmm. and I used to love that so much because I'm supposed to say my mother's gumbo is the best but I'd be like oh well damn you, yours good too like <laughs> You know, I, I really like, I mean, and my Nana's gumbo, like fire, fire. She kind of takes the goal for that one, but really like just being in the kitchen on Sunday morning, like coming back from church and you spend the whole day in the kitchen making gumbo. Um, those are like those beautiful memories that I will cherish for forever with my mom. And then that, that has come like full circle, you know we work so well in the kitchen now together because we had that relationship in the beginning. Um, my sister didn't really want to help out that much, but she was still there, you know, but yeah, that shit was good. Oh, I love that. I love mm -hmm. the idea too of, um, cause when you just, when you just said that it literally uh, took me back to when we would all go to my grandparents' house and my mom, or it was, um, on my on my dad's side I should say and mm -hmm. they also were like nine siblings <laughs> and like five of them were girls um and my aunties would always just be in the kitchen no matter if they were fighting or not you know um mm -hmm. but they would always be in that kitchen and my grandparents had this really big spread out house in Paris California um towards the end of the the their years um and uh, all of my aunties, including my mama, would be in there and they would just be hustling and bustling. And this wouldn't even just be Thanksgiving or Christmas or Easter dinner, because that was usually mm -hmm. a potluck um, where like somebody brings something like we sent out a list and yada, yada, yada. But this was like an occasional like everybody was just getting together. I don't know why. I mean, because I was too young to really like, be, you know what I mean? Or yeah, exactly. It could have been for anything. Like I just knew that we got in the car, drove three hours to the middle of, the, of nowhere in Paris, California, which is like a desert, y'all. <laughs> I don't know if you know this, but it is like flat land and like, oh my goodness. Um, but it was a beautiful, be beautiful lot, a beautiful uh, house. Um, and my, like I said, they would all just gather and be happy and just share their skills and just talk and gossip and just have fun and I hate that I didn't appreciate it like you just said mm -hmm. until like now because it's my mm -hmm. favorite thing to do cooking is my favorite yeah. thing to do well one of them like top three definitely but the idea of being able to like spend that with the people that I love is just even more cherished and I'm not saying we don't do that as much now but like I look back on those moments and I wish I wasn't just playing in the yard um with my with my brother and sister which was great you know I was being a child I was being a kid but I kind of wish that I got to absorb a lot of that 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 nurturing that beautiful feeling of gathering and and love and um mm -hmm. that is but that's with your mom and her sisters right like that's a whole nother thing that they are having together this like sisterhood coming together that a lot of black women have and 
And, and that reminds me, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Oh, no, you could. I've been thinking about it. Yeah, that, you know, even my great-grandparents, you know, who were born Creole, like that was the way for them and spoke Creole. That was the way for them to be in the kitchen, to gossip and speak in that way and like have their time together. And even though it was, you know, they were speaking another language, but they don't want to teach my grandfather, for example, Creole, but that was their time to be in the kitchen and like have their time as adult women together and, and gossip and be like, oh, the children are fine. They're in the back. Like that sounds like that would, that's what that was for your mom and her sisters. So like they finally get to come together, you know, and just gossip, talk about, we talk about their husbands and they <laughs> all the drama and stuff and with the kids talk about like how to, you know, raise their children, like such important conversations that they could not have that same conversation if you were there. And that really sucks, you know, because like, that's like, it's such a beautiful thing for you to be in the kitchen with your mom and her sisters like that. But they had to have that time too, you know? Yeah, no, it's, like I, a, yeah, it's, it's definitely like a give and take. It's my, I mean, we would have the same thing too. Like that's an excellent point. All come together. Yeah. I'm like, like oh, I want to help. Like, no, the cousin's got to be in, in, the, in the back room. Like y'all stay in the back. Yes. Y'all play and we'll be up in the front. So yeah, it's like the idea of like the kitty table and, <laughs> <laughs> and the, and the big head table. Me and my siblings yeah. call it kitty table. Like we coined that like kitty table, a shout out to me. <laughs> my brother and my sister, um, <laughs> who are hope- hopefully listening, but doubtful. Yeah, we'll, we'll see. Um, <laughs> proud of the kitty table. We are, pr- well, we realize like, it, cause it's low key. Anybody that don't know this, like, um, I don't know if it's just in the black community or what, like maybe it's just like, I don't know, but there was two tables. There was like, there was a kid table who was basically like all the kids under the age of 14 had to mm-hmm. sit at the table together. So basically all the baby cousins and such. Right. And then the main siblings and the grandparents, you know, it, they sat at the big long table. Um, and then mm-hmm. when the, the, the family got bigger and bigger or if other um, members of the family did come out to the big gatherings, uh, then we had three tables. So it was like the kitty table, then the, oh. mid, the mid-generational cousins that were like between... 15 or well it depended uh like 15 to 30 they had a, their own table yeah. and then they still had the yeah. other table like oh, the really other table that. always sat at their table oh my um, god um so i don't know if it was just an us thing or a black people thing or what but um, no it definitely is a black people thing but y'all's is way more organized ours is like <laughs> also like at the end of the day like everybody shows up at different times it started at five but like no. you didn't really eat for like nine or ten oh and you just ate wherever Yes, there was definitely mm-hmm. some CP time going on, but at the yeah. same time, my grandmother and a lot of my, like my mom and like a lot of my aunties were very strict because they're like, y'all, we can't just be here all the time, all day, like, like, <laughs> or like, you know what I mean? Like, y'all can't just walk, like, we would give them a plate, Lord have mercy, don't, don't get yeah, me wrong, right. we wouldn't turn people away that if they were like 20 minutes yeah. late to get food, because that's black fe- people for y'all, like, they always late, but for the most part, we all were like, yo. Um, you know what we get there at five sit down is probably we probably gonna eat around seven thirty, and then everybody is gonna sit down and have a nice meal that is california black people <laughs> y'all are so organized there i swear to god, oh god that's amazing. 
or maybe it's just my family, girl. But I get it. That that's there's yeah. a difference between my family and your family, and that is I, definitely you know, time. My family in California, they'd be like that too, and they get mad when I am late, and I'd be like, "Look, I am on my way. Well, we're about to eat right now. Oh my god! Well, like, let me hurry up." And then I come in, and they literally started eating, and I'd be like, "Oh." I, you told me five o'clock, like it's six o'clock. Like I thought y'all had the CPT, but they don't, they don't have CPT at all. Yeah. Maybe it's California black people. <laughs> yeah, y'all really organized out there. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. But to go back to kitty table, what I'm saying is yeah. we realized that it was banishment, but also we wanted to get on the, the other side of it all. And we just chose to embrace it. So we were like, uh, you know yeah. what, this is our table. We going to take this kitty table for life. Like we say that anytime we grown now, like I'm the young, I'm the youngest technically yeah I'm 26 years old and I'm the youngest one and we're still like kitty tape oh you know what I mean <laughs> like my brother's 30 that. years old and we're still like you know we still, still the kitty table yeah you are redefining the kitty table for our generation yeah. and, the, and the ones to come that it does not have to be just about age good mm-hmm. Let's talk about your school training and where you went and your focus on all of that. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, school, I, uh, let's start off by saying that I have three degrees. Um, I have two bachelor's degrees and I have an associate's degree. Okay. And I'll, uh, okay. Okay, Michelle okay. Obama. <laughs> okay, right. And I'm le- going to be working on the fourth, uh, hopefully in the next five years. That will be a master's. So the more the merrier. Yes, queen. I love loans. <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag I love loans. I love being broke. Uh, but really though, um, yeah, I went to undergrad um, in upstate New York um, at Skidmore College. So, um, and that was an interesting experience for me leaving. I wanted to leave New Orleans. I wanted to get as far away as possible without leaving the country. Um, and, and I did, I went, you know, on my own, I was dancing and I also got a degree in health and exercise sciences, which is like kinesiology, which I had intended to work as, um, a physical therapist, or I really was wanting to do injury prevention with dancers because I've been injured a few times in my life. And I think, you know, when we talk about, um, that's a whole other conversation, but we start talking about, you know, the U.S. healthcare system, um, changing the focus more on prevention, um, preventative healthcare is super important. And so I kind of wanted to get into that. Um, graduated with my two bachelors and like pieced out to California and the Bay Area where San Francisco six years ago was um, a very different San Francisco than it is now. And I came there just at the end of, or at the beginning of the tech boom. So what I remembered as a whole bunch of artists supporting each other in this beautiful community in San Francisco had shifted by the time I got there. And that's not an excuse for me, but trying to get into a dance company and where I wanted to go and trying to like work within the community was extremely difficult. You know, rewind as well. like. Growing up in New Orleans, I always had this like interest in food, you know, um, was out in California dancing and nannying and like doing what I can. Uh, got back into baking because I was really interested in baking, but you know, I always like cooked and whatnot. And me and my boyfriend were always 
cooking and experimenting with things, um, but then started baking again. And I was like, hey, you know, I think I really, really want to do this. Like, this is the next chapter of my life. Like, the way that I see dance as an art, I started to view food as that same art, you know. And this was also, like, the time where food is, like, getting this beautiful name and, like, people are starting to acknowledge that, like, food is an art. And you start looking at, like, Chef's Table and all these, like, you know, shows that started coming out. Um, and I was like, yeah, I, I think I really need to do this. Like, I love eating sweets. I love science. Um, I love <laughs> the two together. I love baking. Like, just so many signs were pointing me in the right direction. Um, and I had worked in the hospitality field for a teensy, teensy bit um, in front of house. But uh, I honestly knew nothing about back of house. So I got a job at a small uh, restaurant. Um, so I, I got a job as a pastry assistant before I started culinary school and learning under, learning under my chef at the time, we were the same age and, but she was, you know, way more experienced than I was. And she was so patient with me, um, because I come from like being a home baker, you know, to, to working in a restaurant and, uh, you know, for her to help me understand, like, this is the way it works when we do it in a restaurant versus this is how you're used to doing it at home, really helped me prep for uh, school, for culinary school. So I went to the Culinary Institute uh, at Greystone in Napa, well, in St. Helena. Um, I commuted from Oakland every single day. Um, as much as I loved going there, I really thought that that commute would be a beautiful time for me to enjoy the scenery, you know, like relax. I started uh, at CIA in January of 2018 um, in a pastry program, and I was elected the group leader of my class. So, like, you know, that yeah. entire I, I was essentially the liaison between the chef of the of the class that we were taking and the students in my class, my peers, um, was delegated me in certain leadership positions. Uh, there was no student government there, but that was like student government, um, and I fell in love with everyone. You know, all my chefs who were there, uh, admin, and everyone, um, and I thoroughly enjoyed that experience. Um, uh, I'm not going to speak badly about it. Did you like culinary school, I should say? Like, did, was there anything that you wish that you did learn in it or anything that, like, do you feel like, would you recommend CIA, like, just talk about plus experiences or non-plus experiences? I'm curious because CIA, um, CIA is different from where I went to, Johnson & Wales. You know? Right. So I'm just curious. Um, it, and especially for pastry too, yeah, like what their right. focus was and their curriculum. And well, I, I think because I knew I wanted to do a pastry program, it was difficult. Um, San Francisco only had one pastry program and it was part-time and I didn't want a part-time. I wanted to be fully enveloped in it uh, because I figured if I'm going to take the time to do this, I'm going to do it right. And I'm, I'm going to spend all of my time and, and, with money in it too. Um, and my aunt was like, well, you might as well go to CIA. Like if you're really going to do it, just do it. And I was like, oh, well, this is like elite top school, blah, 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 whatever holds this, holds this name in the world. Um, so yeah, I, I thought that it would be a good place to go, a, a good time for me as well to go to, because they have such an extensive pastry program. Yet, come to find out it it felt more like we were the lost 
um, sheep, like the black sheep of the school, you know, I mean, like funding and resources are going to go to culinary first before they go to savory. Um, it's just a smaller program in general, obviously. So you're just not, you're not going to have as much attention to detail. And a lot of people during their time there speak up on those issues, but I mean, you're only there for 20 months. So how much change is going to happen in that time that you're there? And a few of us really did try to speak up on, on certain things, just like, and that was part of me being a group leader was like attending these meetings and trying to advocate for like things that we needed in the pastry program that I felt like would have benefited our education for the amount of money that we're paying to go to school there. Um, but you know, some things happen, some changes happen and some things didn't and, and I'm okay with that. You know, we, we tried our best, but the pastry program there was really great. I mean, I learned so much, uh, out of it. I had amazing, uh, of amazing master chefs there that I felt like I would have not gotten at any other program. Um, and on top of that too, there were even two, well, one that I uh, learned under two female pastry chefs there, which for some reason was like an anomaly. Like that just does not exist. You know, <laughs> that's so, that's crazy. That's ironic because it, at Johnson and Wales, it was the, the entire pastry program was not the elite, but like they had some like strength. Like you're saying, like you were tech, quote unquote the black sheep, but like pastry program, man. Like we had scientists, we had world renowned pastry chefs. Most wow. of them were women that were teaching. Like they went to the Olympics, they did all the things, they had all the awards. Like, yo, like we had a bomb pastry program wow. uh, which is crazy um so it's like literally i'm not saying like cia wasn't no. I'm just saying like yeah. we have the majority of the staff were women they had to take certain tests like we had a master uh bread baking section too like you had to like apply to get into it and like there was a there was a there was a, as a student yeah take, take like, the class you could be in the you could be in the standard pastry program, but then you had to literally apply to be in a certain, like the third level to get into like the, the bread breaking program or the sugar program or wow. the, uh, there was could you choose program. your classes or you had to go with the curriculum? The, I mean, like when the standard curriculum you had, but if you wanted to do, if you wanted to do past your associates, you had to like test into it and yeah. then you know what I mean? Like you had to pick a, a focus, I believe. This is past your associates. I see. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It has a similar program, but um, yeah. So you can get your bachelor's. Is that what for that? Yeah, or, exactly. Okay. Um, that's a, that's a big thing for Johnson and Wales, like offering yeah. your bachelor's in hospitality and food management and all that just, mm -hmm. which is what I got. I got, um, I got my associates in culinary arts and then I got my bachelor's in food management. I mean, yeah, we, you know, our, our curriculum was, in the same way that for an associates, you had to take these classes, you couldn't skip and obviously if you failed them, you couldn't move on until you passed one. Um, so that didn't really hinder anyone in our class. We had a surprisingly really good uh, selection of people. Like we had a really good class. They were all really smart. Most of, most of us had come from the industry before um, in some sort of way or just really young and passionate, which I admire too. Um, is there something else, you know, something to say about young, um, passionate pastry chefs and almost all of us women, uh, which was really awesome too. And another black girl in my class, which yes. I really, um, so yeah, we were, we were definitely there. I appreciated that. 
I appreciated the few of us that were that were there. Now I um I call us unicorns because um <laughs> we don't uh, we don't see a lot of us and when I say us I mean black women in this industry um which is an interesting The first time you told me that it totally went over my head. We were at at work and I was like, "Yeah, we're unicorns. Cool." blah blah blah. And then you were like, "No, dude, we're we're unicorns." And I was like, nobody looks like us nobody nobody (laughs) so when i say unicorns i mean black women in the in in the hospitality industry um i'm talking servers i'm talking cooks i'm talking pastry chefs i'm talking managers i'm talking bartenders i'm talking all of that front of the house back of the house you Mm -hmm. name it and I, this is a great transition to talk about just representation mm-hmm. in general and how important it is for, for us to be seen and for us to be heard. I would love for you to talk about your experiences, just talking about being Black and being a woman and being in this hospitality industry, actually. <laughs> Well, at once, right? Like, I'm not just going to talk about being a black woman because that's we could write a dissertation on that separately, <laughs> right? Like, you would just mean specifically in the industry. Yes, yes. Okay, yeah, yeah. No, because that's I mean, a whole nother day. Yeah, right. <laughs> Girl, that's a lot more liquor in a whole nother day. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, I'll well, get my drink right now. Anyway, well, <laughs> yeah, I definitely first realized it when I had gotten into school. I mean. My first job in the hospitality industry was in uh, a Mexican restaurant in San Francisco. Uh, I was the only black person who worked there um, and didn't speak a lot of Spanish. So I was also an outlier in the situation, but you know, I, I, I didn't see it until a few jobs later and sometime later when, when I had gotten to school and, and realized that in this school, in, our class of 150 students, you know, I think something like 40 of us were women, um, the majority of which were in the pastry program. And I think only four people, I can, I can recall four people were black. Three of us were women in the pastry program. Um, and I, that could be wrong, but that's what I'm remembering right now. And you know, that, that really hit me. Um, but I, I think just acknowledging, I had acknowledged more that I was one of the few black people before I had acknowledged that I was one of the few black women, you know, like that had to come first for me to acknowledge that then there was one of the few black women, I think, cause I was surrounded by women yeah. anyway in my program. Um, and same with work too, when I was, cause I maintained my job in Oakland while I was going to school there you know, and that was my first real taste in a, in a kitchen job that, you know, there were women around me. I mean, my boss was a, a female um, and I had not really acknowledged it until I did my internship in Copenhagen um, where I was the only black person in every single situation. I can count on one hand the number of black people that I saw and in that restaurant it was I was one of two females the other of which was also an intern with me 
uh, and she was from Istanbul. Uh, and we acknowledged our presence as the only females in that kitchen, but it really hit me hard there because I was by myself in an unfamiliar country, not speaking the language, even though we spoke English, but just obviously like I could not assimilate in any other way. And I could not become comfortable because I was constantly on guard for being a black female. You know, I felt like my one saving grace is that I'm extremely tall and like can look really empowering and have like a resting bitch face. And I was like, oh, but I just like put this on and like, you know, like how we have to do as black women, just like put up this shield, like then all is going to be okay. Like I, you know, I can't, I can't regress in my discomfort and like let people know that I'm uncomfortable because that's when if I let my guard down, like that's when shit's going to come to bite me. But I, at that time, and you know, that that's when I really, really acknowledged my presence as, as a as a black female in the industry. Um, for that, for the first time, hmm? it's interesting that you said that of the shield and everything because I share that with you because I have worked in kitchens where I was the only one. Well, actually, every single kitchen I've ever worked in. Until quite recently, actually, I've been the only one. I've been the only black person. I've been the been the only woman. And then it got a little bit better. But in my instance, when I was hired at the time, it was just me. It, it was it was a good thing, but it was also like not a great thing in the sense of it was a good thing that they were showing that representation is important. Like they took a chance on me, which is great. Yeah, right. Right. And I'm good at what I do. So that's even better. But it's also the fact that when I did get there and when I did get the job that I had to, I felt that I had to, I mean, we've always felt that way. We've always felt our mothers have taught us for years that you have to work three times as hard as the average person because you are black, because you are a woman, you are going to earn less. You are not going to be let into doors that you should be like, so you have to prove to them that you have to work so much harder and do and do better and be better than most of those people, even to get a slight of a chance for you to be in those rooms. You know what I mean? So, and you know, thank God for our beautiful and strong mothers to have instilled that work ethic into us. Yeah. So to be strong too, you know what I mean? To, to feel strong and beautiful, but it, mm-hmm. it goes back to my point where I got into the room. So I also had to make sure that other people felt that I deserved to be in that room, even though I knew I deserved to be in that room. Mm-hmm. And I right. put up this shield and I put up this lack of vulnerability and I had to always be on. I had to mm-hmm. always be strong. I had to yeah. always feel or or look a certain way just so they to feel more powerful like they couldn't take something that I should have gotten or earned fairly away from me because it's so easily done you know what I mean so I feel for you girl when I mean you just preached how like this (laughs) Like you just regurgitated all of like what was like coming up and like festering in me and thinking about it frustrates me. And obviously we push these emotions down on us because we know that we have to like maintain this shield and protect ourselves. And, and I mean, especially with, with, with what's been going on in the past couple of weeks, like 
and, and admiring our blackness and how beautiful we are as humans is one thing. And I've been admiring that, but then to think about now all of these situations in the industry in the past few years that I've had to put on that face and put on that front, act like nothing is wrong and be strong. Uh, oof, oof. I mean, yeah, if I could sit here and count those instances for sure. You know, yeah. yes, uh, people have made me cry. Yes. I've had to fake like I was not crying and go and, and like, sh- you know, shake it off real quick and walk away when I know that if someone else had done that exact same thing wrong and they would have not gotten reprimanded in the same way that I did for it. And it it goes hand in hand with being black and being a woman. You know what I mean? Because if, if we weren't black, like if we weren't a person of color and we were just a white woman, we would still be reprimanded for crying in the walk-in. You know what I mean? Because we've all done it. Anybody that has worked in a hospitality industry has either cried in a wine closet or cried in the (laughs) walk-in. Okay. Or like had a heart to heart in the walk-in. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. It Mm -hmm. is our same. Grace. It is a one, and it's yeah. not soundproof. Anybody that knows that, uh, for legal reasons, <laughs> like it's it shouldn't be soundproof. But we think it is, and we go in there and we scream and we yeah. let let off steam. But I'm saying, you don't have to be a person of color to understand. Like, right? You know I mean, like you can not just be a woman, but being a woman is hard enough. And then you add the blackness on top of it, and it's. <laughs> Yeah. It's very it's difficult. I mean, damn. Like, I mean, I wouldn't change a damn thing. It's amazing. I love it, but it's also incredibly difficult. It's incredibly difficult. Right. And and how and how much longer is it going to take? How how many more of us have to go through this and work so much harder? Yeah. Just to get what we deserve. You know, like yes, you and I work our asses off. Like. Yeah. I mean, I have never been more stressed in my life when I'm working full time in a kitchen and I'm just like literally running circles around people, like just trying to maintain like my, just like, just to barely keep afloat. Like that's what it feels like. Do you ever get that feeling where you're like on fire (laughs) and you're screaming, Hey, I'm on fire and nobody notices and then they're like, wow, something smells like it's burning. And you're like, I'm on fire. And they're like, huh. And then the white man next to you goes, hey, something is burning. They're like, oh, thanks. You know, like, oh, thanks for letting us know. And it's like, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's that sense of, because I've definitely stood in a room full of white men where I was saying something and I was preaching something and I was for sure and for certain what I was saying empirical evidence was correct and it wasn't until the white man that was standing next to me said it the exact same way just as loud (laughs) that everybody listened to the person standing next of course it's just of course it's very frustrating to and those are the things that make me want to silence myself even more because what's the point of me saying it when y'all not gonna listen to me in the first place and i and i know that and I know that I, I can, I feel like I can only, and that's such a, an interesting point. I really can only count one instance where I felt like my voice was heard in the kitchen. And that was because I literally yelled at these white men. And that was in Copenhagen. And thank God it was an internship because I would have definitely lost my job. If that, <laughs> <laughs> I would have been fired on the spot. I lost my but I was job. like, y'all need me. Y'all need me to come back tomorrow at 8 a.m. 
So I'm going to say what I want to say, and I'm going to say it one time, and it's going to be heard, and I do not need anybody else to come after me after I say this one thing. And I said it, and I got it off my chest. Those men were extremely inappropriate, and they were saying extremely inappropriate things about women. And I called them out for it. I said, hey, I am right here. I was like, I'm right here. She's right here. Why do you think we want to hear this? Mm. Why? And <laughs> I mean, just that was the only instance where nothing needed to come after that. And they were like, hmm, okay, we, we hear you. Okay, I'm so sorry. Like yeah. one person actually apologized. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, thank you. Because this is so inappropriate. Nothing to do with work at all. I don't care. Let's talk about literally anything else. Anything else. Anything else. There's yeah. so many. Let's talk about music. Let's talk about politics. <laughs> it, I've said those exact words before. And don't get me wrong. I've worked with some really beautiful people, most, mostly good people, just in the sense of, quote unquote, ignorance of um, not being around people that are different from them. So not really sure. acknowledging sure. Right. uncomfortability, mm-hmm. not really acknowledging um, indifference or differences in general. Right. Um, and I... Thankfully, I am who I am, and I have done those things where I've, I've, I have addressed people over and over and over in certain instances and being like, y'all need to calm down. <laughs> like, we do not need to talk about these things. We do not need mm-hmm. to, like, there is any topic in the world that would make us all feel a little less restless. And, right. you know, they, they chalk it up to, oh, it's just kitchen talk. It's just like, ch- you know right, what I mean? I was going to say, right. But it's like, that, that's I- kitchen talk like is that what you talked about growing up in your home when you were in your kitchen is that is that what you said in front of your mother is that is that what you said in front of your father is that what you said in front of your brother and sister or anybody that was in your actual kitchen growing up or is it just what you want to use right now and then coin Mm -hmm. it as something that you deem appropriate therefore you can use it in future instances so absolutely what I'm saying is it's good that we're there. <laughs> it's good that we're in these kitchens. It's good that we're in these, in these instances, whether you're behind a bar, whether you're, you know, um, managing, a, a, you're a distributor, whether, you know what I mean? Whether you're in a kitchen mm-hmm. or not, but mm-hmm. it's, it's voices like ours that do matter in the sense of making people understand that not everything you say is okay. And not everything you say is going to make other people comfortable. So, you know what I mean? And I'm not saying like, you know, drag people all the time. Of course not. But at the same time, there is a way for people to treat others. And there's a way for people to express themselves that is still deemed appropriate. Absolutely. Absolutely it goes back to my point of representation matters. So people that look like us, people that are different from the, the complete opposite of what we're used to seeing. <laughs> um, it's important. It's important for us to keep standing up. And, and it's, it's a shame that, like I said about the, the fire analogy that, you know, it, like you said, it deems us to feel like we should silence ourselves because we don't feel like we're going to be heard, but that should even encourage us even more to stand up for ourselves and to hopefully make it better for the next girl. You know what I mean? For the next woman, I'm sorry, for the next woman to walk up in there that doesn't look like them, um, white or black person of color, it doesn't matter. You know what I mean? Like it's still, 
a matter of respect that needs to be preached and instilled into others more and more and more and more until we can all, you know, because like I said, I haven't worked with bad people necessarily. I mean, there's, there's a few bad people that, you know, you know, we're, we're not apples out there. Exactly. Know. But for the right. most part, like right. the people I work with are genuine, kind, passionate, beautiful people. Yes. It's just a sense of ignorance. You know what I mean? Like they just don't yeah. know because right. they've never been put in that position before. Right. Exactly. And, and you, and on the one hand, you kind of can't blame them if they literally have no idea. And I'm talking about like me being in a whole nother ass country and y'all literally, and I can, I can call that excusable in some ways. So you have no idea that some of these things are inappropriate. What I'm talking about here in the kitchens here in America, like where <laughs> these issues are in your face every single day. I just wanted to add uh, at the end of that, it, and I'm I'm saying if you are giving, you have to give the amount of respect that you want to take back as well. I'm not saying you should be, um, I'm not saying that you should be disrespectful or um, or wrong or you know what I mean, not outright in a negative way. I'm saying if you are treating a person with the same amount of respect that you want to take uh, that you want to give back then I mm -hmm. feel like they should reciprocate that. I'm not saying that, you know, all women are right and all black women are right and all that jazz. I'm not, I'm not trying to be on a soapbox. I am saying that yeah. if you are genuinely trying to have a healthy conversation or advice or et cetera with another person, I feel like they should reciprocate that as well. You know? Well, I mean, yes, a hundred percent. But then you have to think about too, like, I think age plays a big part in this, in this conversation too. Yeah. You know, we, we work around and we're all young folks. We're working around young people, yeah, way younger than 19, 18 year olds sometimes who are, this is their first job in the kitchen and they're so, you know, and they're on the same level as us, but they just have not developed that sense in their brains yet. And God forbid that like, you know, a, a young person not understand respect in the same way that we do, but you know, with, I, I, I've, I've come to find that too, that age has, been, has played a big role in respecting people in the kitchens. Um, and, and I mean, and I'm sure in the kitchens that you've worked at, it sounds like you have been, we've been the youngest, but I've also been in a situation where I have been the oldest on, on, on a number of terms. And being around young people who just don't have that same level of respect yet and haven't developed that, it is just, it's like talking to a brick wall almost. Yeah. Um, so I, I don't know if, that, if you've come across, well, we talked about this, right, that we've always been young, but- I've always I, been the youngest. I've always mm -hmm. been the youngest until right. recently. And then after I, and then after I was hired, then people that were younger than me were hired after me. But at right. the point where, where I was hired, I have always been the youngest. I've always yeah. been the only black person and I've always been the only black woman. The best part about it is that we all have this beautiful connection and we all are very smart and we all work very hard and we're very good at this job. Why else would we be working in these places? So we all have that as our underlying factor. We are all how we all have that in common with each other. So that makes it even more easy to be like, well, hey, you're just as good as I am. And, and look, and you're a woman too. And, and you're black. 
And you could do this even better, run circles around me. I should acknowledge that, I should praise that, I should be able to learn from you in all sorts of facets, not just from food, from, from culture, from life. I should be able to hear what you have to say because your opinions are valid. But getting to that point is what is this maneuvering process yeah. that it shouldn't have to be that hard for us, that we shouldn't yeah. still have to work this hard and have to have these uncomfortable conversations with people, you know? Yeah. It's, it's, it's tiring. It's tiring to be at work and to have to do your job and then do the other job of five other things because you need to have a conversation with somebody or acknowledge something or not acknowledge something and be quiet about it all day. And that becomes even more tiring because you have to come in the next day and pick up where you left off. And, yeah. you know, yeah, I mean, I, absolutely. Um, on your point of like representation matters that the, the more of us that are in that space, we, you know, and, and holding ourselves accountable for, for doing that job, for sure. You know, exactly. like you and I working together in that space for, spoke volumes, you know, and, and to work in an open kitchen. And I pray that people, you know, customers saw that. And would say, hey, you know, this is a place that really admires diversity. And they, and, you know, and they have black females working. Like, I wonder who else is a black female in their kitchen. Is there any advice that you have been given uh, that has helped you in the past? Or any, any advice that you wish that you had and then <laughs> um, that you could have yeah. used and that you will use, I should say. Yeah. I mean, and we all hear this in, in any, in any industry um, work smart, not hard, you know, but you don't really know what that, what that means um, until you're really working smart, <laughs> not working hard. I think that just is something that ha- for me has, come with experience has, I, I, I had to have the time and the experience to learn what that really meant. Um, I, you know, but having my first chef tell me that, uh, multiple times and being like, yeah, okay, sure. Um, it never really got in there for me until now. I really understand what that means, but you know, I, I, I can't really think of anything else. I'm going to be honest with you. No, it's <laughs> that okay. Told me specifically that I remember as like, this was advice that I really needed to heed from other than like specific pastry advice. Cold butter, uh, cold fats are hard. That butter is money. Butter is money. Butter is Look, money. <laughs> don't waste that butter because that is money. That if I were to give myself advice as a, as a, and a few years later, um, just to give everything your all, all the time, you know, like, what do you have to, what do you have to lose? Um, and it's really scary and, and you're, you're going to feel like crap when it doesn't go your way, but you, you give it your all and, and you speak up, um, and you speak truthfully to yourself and that is all you need. That's so funny that you say butter is money. Cause we always say fat. Um, fat is flavor. That's something for savory. <laughs> fat That's is flavor. Fat is um, flavor. Yep. For culinary, fat is flavor. But cold fat is hard. Don't forget that. Yeah, I won't. It is obvious. I mean, duh. But and when the directions say fold and not whisk, <laughs> you need to fold yeah. and not whisk, bitch. You better fold. Mm-hmm. Um. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know. I fucked up like a fucking, oh man. Anyway, I don't want to talk about it. I'm so mad. 
Um, I hate that though. Oh, dude, it's like, I should have just listened. See, that's the savory in me. <laughs> like, I did right. not listen. Don't tell me what to do. I can do it my way. That is very true about savory cooks. You guys are just, I mean, you, and, and you know, you know, but baking, it's like, well, it's either going to go this way or it's going to be completely fail. Like you can't, it's either a yes or it's a thousand percent no. So yeah, yeah it's a yes or a hard no. Tell me about your best and worst days at work. <laughs> I almost spit my water out. <laughs> um, but one of my best days in the kitchen, uh, I can't think of like one particular instance, but I think it, okay. it is those. Because I mean, there are a lot of really beautiful days that happen or small moments, you know, that, that you acknowledge. One of them being when Jesus was like, hey, I can do it. Like, let me relieve you because I know you're over here. Like, and you're, you know, you're working so hard and someone just asks you to do something else. Like, hey, I have the time. I can do it. Like, let, I, I'm here for you, you know? Mm-hmm. And that's really beautiful, but. That somebody saw you and acknowledged you and decided to help. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, that is so, that's so already so difficult to do when, when you work in an industry where every minute counts <laughs> and, the more you can get done before service, the better, you know, the more you can prep and the more you can ease. And all I can think about is, well, there's so many things I have to do. How much can I get done before service starts? But um, some of the best times have been when there are times when I felt like my voice was heard um, or even connecting with people, like connecting with Chef Nicole um, because she would come up and work in pastry and I, I love She's a queen. Moments. I love that She's, woman. Goddess. How we have that connection with her that God not all other people in the restaurant could say that, you know. Nicole Krasinski is a goddess. Actually. A like, queen. Talk about, you know, just everything. Like, whenever she'd be in the kitchen with me, I'm like, well, you know, let, let me just keep an eye on her because I, I want to see what this greatness is and like where all of this like crazy energy gets diverted to and how at the end she like whips up something so wild. Like, where did that even come from? I don't know. And how did she get there from point A to point Z? But we would have these conversations. And I remember you telling me too, that you guys would have amazing conversations. (laughs) I wanted to make sure like we fell in love with each other very early on. I, I introduced myself and we just became really good friends. I would like she to say, I don't know. over insecure, right? Like that was yeah, that one she was just like, girl. girl. <laughs> she like, just came girl. up to me and started talking to me. And I was like, ah! oh, I, I'm actually curious at her thoughts about the season too. Um, no, she's just a, an incredibly talented and beautiful and uplifting person. And that goes for, along yeah. with Chef Nicole Liu as well at The Progress. Absolutely. Um, Both just same. inspiring, just great women and um, truly, truly influential on the impact of the restaurant and of other people, mm-hmm. no matter what they think. Like, I'm telling you, if, if, if you changed anybody's life, you definitely changed mine. And it's just, yeah, shout out to absolutely. Them. Shout out to them for sure. Because 
they have truly changed my life. And, and I do have the privilege of saying that I have had other female chefs that I've worked for um, that have, and my first chef being that, that have like paved the way for how I like to maneuver in the kitchen and things that I like to take with me. My, my toolbox of knowledge, you know, comes from these women because they work smart, not hard. Unlike I feel like some men that I've worked with, you know, like they, since we're such beautiful multifaceted beings who can multitask and like just be amazing all the while, like holding a natural conversation while we're like throwing up flames. And I'm talking about you because that's totally you. <laughs> Literally like chopping onions over here and like throwing up flames over here and like talking about insecure. You know, like we just have this ability to be our best selves um, all the time and to be able to work under people like that who are so inspiring, who have so much to give. Um, and want to share it with people, with other women, um, is, is really beautiful. Uh, you definitely don't get a chance like that in, in a lot of other, in a lot of other fields um, in yeah. these male-dominated industries. So to be able to, to have women like that, those were definitely some of the best days when she would be in the kitchen working with us, to have two female chefs working in there, Chef Kat and Chef Nicole, uh, Lisa, you know, like, all of them in, in the kitchen and you're just like, damn, like we are really killing it right now. You I know? love visiting pastry land because it's all <laughs> of the ladies. <laughs> I'm like, hi, pastry land. Yeah. It's how so are my beautiful. ladies doing? And Jesus, how you doing? And Jesus, <laughs> over there killing it, just being a boss, you know, but really though, gosh, I mean, she would have conversations with me and show me things and be patient with me when I'm learning, when I was training with her on like state bird side, cause they wanted me to, to train both sides, you know, just to have all that patience and compassion for me. I mean, I will never forget those times. Who has been your biggest inspiration? And it doesn't have to be career related. Hmm. Yeah. It's not that it's cliche, but it's true. Um, my parents are my biggest inspiration, specifically my mom. Um, I have had a closer relationship with my father for a multitude of reasons. Um, and I acknowledge that not a lot of people can say that, especially a lot of black people and black women specific. Well, I mean, just a lot of black people can say that, but uh, both of my parents are a huge inspiration. Um, my mom went back to school to get her master's after I was born and was going to school full-time, working full-time, and being a mother of two full-time. Um, and when she told me her schedule was like when I was going to school and I was commuting and I was like, oh, this is nothing compared to her, like literal two hours of sleep every single night to wake up, to do homework, to cook dinner for breakfast. So it can be ready for them to go to work and go to school. You know, like she's had to come over so many strides. Um, she is one of the hardest working people that I know. And I am not just saying that. I mean, like she literally still runs circles around me. The woman is just amazing and cuckoo in so many ways. You know, she, um, she's extremely passionate about everything that she does. And she does it 110%. 
And it drives us crazy because we're over here being like, hey, you need to slow down. You need to, she's like, I don't sleep for anything. Like, I will keep running if it's what it means for me and it's what I want to do. And I'm like, well, hell yeah, girl. Like, you do, you do it. Um, but she's really shown me that, you know, it, it is possible to be um, a, a Black superhero, you know, and to, to wear that crown and to wear it beautifully and to show, you know, Whew, the titles, the awards, the progress. She literally runs this city. I mean, she, you know, has really been there, has had her story, uh, the story of her family, of her parents, of her grandparents. We've all seen so much and heard so much. And for her to take all of that and just propel it and, you know, just really let it be the driving force for all of that she does is really beautiful. I, I, aspire to work as hard as she does um but i also acknowledge that i am not the same person as her and i cannot physically do that (laughs) Uh, i cannot run off of two hours of sleep every day that's impossible but i i do take a lot of of my day to day and thinking about well how how was my mom going to do this but also that's being said with my father i mean we're so close um you know, he's shown me a, a whole different side of adulthood uh, that I, I, I mean, he's shown me a different side of adulthood from the fact of just being like smart fi- financially and having financial stability and just, you know, being able to, to live in this world right now. And he's a, the kind of person that will have uncomfortable conversations with me and want to have them um, and, and, you know, I want to help make a change in the world and, um, they're both, they're both beautiful human beings. And shout out to good black, good black mamas and good black daddies. (laughs) For real shout out to the black mamas and daddies who got to stress every single day about their children who, but also who have to show them that, you know, you work this hard. This is what you can get. And it worked and they worked hard to be able to show me and my sister that we can live this lifestyle that is so beautiful that we can live in America and with everything that's going on and still try to admire and, and, and seek out the beauty in the world, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Thanks mom. (laughs) I know. I love my mama too. I love you. mama. I love my mama. (laughs) She's so supportive. They're both so supportive. We love supportive black parents. They're all so happy. I yeah. can't, you know, you know. Yeah. I don't know how they do it. They make the world go round, yo. They they really do. They do. <laughs> um, this is we're gonna do something a little more lighthearted, and this is what I'm going to ask every single person that comes on the show. Um donut, bagel, or Danish? Donut. Immediately. <laughs> I had to think about it. Why the donut? I love donuts. Okay, so oh, I think it was my junior year of undergrad. Uh, I was my I was dancing, um, and uh, I had a bit of a donut problem. Um, like I would consume so many donuts. There was Dunkin' Donuts. There were donuts in the dining hall, and they started calling me the Donut Queen. I, I don't know how, but maybe I even said it myself. But everybody knew me as like the girl that loves donuts, and to this day, I still love donuts. I love making. I love eating donuts. God forbid, I love Krispy Kreme. Love. <laughs> it's so disgusting 
nobody's allowed to judge me at all, but I love Krispy Kreme. I love, <sighs> Even I love the amount of sugar um, yes. and how a warm Krispy Kreme donut is like, oh my God. it's transcendent. Like it's truly like you will, I mean, don't get me wrong. Like it is full filled with it. I it might be the, tra- the insulin shock, but, Terrible thing. Yeah. <laughs> but it proceed with caution. You, yeah, proceed with caution, but it takes you to a whole nother place. Lord have mm-hmm. mercy. And like I said, that could be the insulin shock, but right. Probably. But you know, and another th- story about donuts too, is that before Katrina, before Hurricane Katrina, um, I used to go to this donut shop after church every Sunday or most Same. Sundays. Yeah. <laughs> it was called Brown's Donuts. Um, no affiliation with the dairy company Browns that's out here. Um, but the owner knew me and he would be like trying new flavors. This young black guy, I never forget him, would try out new flavors and I'd be his taste tester because we were like on that level. And I thought it was so cool because I'm like, you know, eight, 10 year old kid and like giving, I mean, I'm the person he wants, you know, the taste test from because I'm going to be the one buying his donuts. But those donuts were so good. And I just, you never forget like a taste of a donut that you just love, right? And when I moved to California, Bob's Donuts is the exact same taste of Brown's. And it's just so nostalgic for me eating those donuts. I love Bob's so much because that is the Brown's donut for me as a kid, the pre-Katrina. I never forget those donuts. So they never opened up post-Katrina. I forgot that. They never opened up back up. I don't even know what's there anymore. Probably nothing is there anymore, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So oof. when you get a good donut, stick with it. Oh, amen. Yeah. Um, yeah. I've said it on a previous podcast before, but um, like it's two things. It's Randy's Donuts in Los Angeles. And it's this other, it's this other place that's on like around the corner from my house. And we would do the same thing. We would go to church. We would, uh, um, or before or after church, it depend on where we were coming from and whether or not we were late for church. Because <laughs> my mama had to get three children ready for church <laughs> on a Sunday morning, her only day off. Um, <laughs> And, and we would get them and I just, I don't know. I just remember being so freaking happy and, and I have a, I have a code with donuts. Like my, uh, my college roommates will understand, but I would get a donut if I was happy or if I was sad. So they would come home and they'd be like, Candice, are these happy donuts or sad donuts? <laughs> and I was like, they're sad donuts. Cause no matter what, when I was eating donuts, I always felt better. So it was, it's wow. my, my saving grace. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I'm just saying though, I eat a lot of sugar or Candice. It is, it is quite disgusting. Um, <laughs> That's why I also chose. I just love sugar. God, I right. You just look in this kitchen right now. It's full. There's turnovers. There's macarons. I've got two cakes I'm making. Like, and half of this is just because I want to eat it too. I want a little sip. So, I wanted to be a savory cook. Um, originally, and then I changed my mind, and I was like, I'm gonna be a baker. And I convinced my mom and she was like, she wasn't listening to it because, you know, she had a lot of other things on her mind. But I was like, mom, I'm going to bake. I'm going to bake. I'm going to bake. And she's like, fine, you're going to bake. Damn. And then she <laughs> and then she encouraged me to bake more. And I would always like volunteer. I would do bake sales. I would do all this stuff. Um, 
I would always make the desserts for Christmas and Thanksgiving, which I'm still doing to this day. Um, yeah. But she bought me all of these, all of these pastry cookbooks, all of these cake mix Bibles and all this regarding oh. pastry. And then at one point, I don't know, I just stopped and I was just like, okay, I cannot. I, it's also because I have a high metabolism. So I was like, I cannot sit here waiting for the cake or the pastry or the pie or whatever oh, to finish because I am so fracking hungry right now and I smell like powdered sugar and I have a headache and I have a migraine and that's why I associated with it for a very long time. I was like, I can't do this anymore. I can't be yeah. a baker. I can't be a pastry chef. Mama, I'm sorry. I'm going back to savory. And she was like, okay. <laughs> that's, yeah. that's okay. Like, like, I knew all and I was just like, oh, oh, okay. Um, well, okay. I guess that wasn't well, as anticlimactic as I thought it was going to be, but <laughs> I was like, man, what am I going to do with all these pastry books? Crap. So um, I still bake. You know what I mean? I still yeah, bake. And I, um, absolutely. I still, but hey, you, you allowed yourself that time to figure it out, you know? But girl, I'm telling you. For like, I knew my whole life I could like cook, but, and I think that's fun, but like, I love science. I used to want, I mean, I don't know. Nope. At some point I thought I wanted to be a chemist and I was like, Kayla, where did that come from? Because <laughs> you hate chemistry. But at the time I was like, well, I want to be a chemist. Like I want to be a researcher. But um, I mean, I say that to say too, yeah, like it is a science. And I thought too, I was like, well, you know, I, I definitely know how to cook, but I really know how to cook New Orleans food. But I feel like because I know I'm not because I know how to cook New Orleans food, I can pick up on cooking many other types of food because it is it has that like French, you know, um, history in there, and being able to understand like cooking roux and like cooking st uh, stocks and bases, like I got all of that from my mom. I was like, oh, I think I'm good on this. Like we could we could go somewhere else. Yeah, you know the uh, basics for my 16th birthday. I, no, sorry, my 14th birthday, I asked for a whole bunch of baking supplies. And my mom was ecstatic because growing up for her on each of the 10 children's 16th birthday, you received a pot and a pan and some sort of like other um, you cooking utensils. So she was I like, oh my God, Caitlin, like what? You know, so she was thrilled and in the same way that your mom was like let me just do this for you she like went and bought me like all this crazy stuff I still have some of it to this day um or rather she has it but uh yeah that that was really cool that that was really tight tell me about your your pastry business and what you're doing now yeah so um after the pandemic I decided to hop on the train of of running my own business because this is a great time to do it, you know? And, and so I am selling an assorted box of pastries to my local friends and family in, in New Orleans. Um, it, the idea revolves around four different pastries. One of them is always going to be savory, something chocolate, and then two sort of wild cards um, of whatever I want to do, um, whatever's in season with fruits um, and just having fun with it. I, I keep it a small batch for now and I'm trying to do the deliveries two or three times a week. I, I've had a, a, a pause in the past few weeks of doing boxes because I was out of town and then reworking uh, things and doing some R&D, but they are starting back up this week, which is the week of June 8th is today. Yeah. Um, so 
yeah, they are $20 a box. Uh, I do deliver or you can pick up at my house. Um, and from what I've heard from other people, they're pretty awesome. So, well, yeah, because you're um, incredible and talented and beautiful and amazing. <laughs> well, I mean, I don't want to toot my own horn, you know, but, but beep, beep. Yeah. <laughs> okay. But, but beep, 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 beep. No, they, they're really good. I'm not going to lie. The name is changing. So I don't know if I want to list the name, but it is petite patisserie, but I'm changing it. Something about some lanyap. We're going to have some lanyap in there because lanyap is this term that people in New Orleans use. It's a French term, but I think it's specifically Creole French that refers to something extra, like it's a little extra gift. Um, and what's extra in your life is nothing more than a box of pastries that <laughs> why not? So yeah, um, that, that's the idea behind, behind these boxes. Awesome. Just bring some joy to your life or to someone that you love with Look sugar. You. Yes, queen. Shout out yeah. to all black entrepreneurs out there. Yes. Shout out to all the beautiful black entrepreneurs. We can go on and on and on. Oh my God. So many amazing women and men out there just doing it. Is there any last words or anything you want to use this platform to reach out and talk about? I just, I, I can't unacknowledge the fact that it's on all of our minds right now. Um, and especially as black women that we have to like, we feel like we have to hold this space um, for black men. And, and I can't, I can't not acknowledge that in this podcast because it's important, you know, that your audience knows the climate that we're talking in. And maybe also the fact that we postponed this conversation because it was too uncomfortable to have this conversation last week. You know, we were in a very different emotional state last week. And um, I've had a, a lot happen to me attending uh, four days of protests. Um, the only reason I skipped the fifth one was because we had a planned dinner with my friends and I, and we felt really guilty for missing that night. But <sighs> so much has happened. Um, and my heart is really heavy. Um, and I'm trying to just like continue to maneuver in this space just as much as you are. And I, and I really feel for you um, being in San Francisco and not that you're on your own, but living in the space by yourself. Um, I, you know, I want to acknowledge that you're there, like being a badass, doing your thing and like doing what you need to do to stay mentally sane and, and live the day to day. And I applaud you 110% for that. I really admire that. You're just like, you're killing it over there, you know? Like, Am I? I'm over here. Yeah. I mean, having conversations, like, especially right now, I know that you have conversations with your friends and family and you're like talking through it. But I mean, like I have, I, I live with my, my best friend and he's a black man. And for us to like come home after a long day or a long night of protesting and like continue to have conversations, like we have invited this into our space, but it's just so difficult when that's the constant climate right now. And yeah. there's like no way to do that. So I applaud you for like maintaining your space for what it seems like you have and, you know, being able to work through all the emotions living alone like that. Like, yeah, I, I, I think that was what I was trying to say. Hmm? I said, that's very kind. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, this, uh, this is a great time to have this podcast and have this conversation. Um, but yeah, we're, we're all here making it. Well, I'm, I'm proud of you, uh, for 
all that you're doing and also like trying to because you know it's a hard time on the on the obvious side of things but it's also incredibly hard mentally and like you're still doing what you feel is going to help you mentally you know what I mean like you're still you're going to the protests you're 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 speaking out you're you're taking action you are doing what you need to do but you're also understanding that like that is going to make you feel better like and that is going to make the world better in that sense you know what Mm -hmm. I mean like you're standing up and you are speaking out and you're also considering your own mental um health about it which is very encouraging that you know and and very inspiring you know what I mean because a lot of people are risking a lot you know even with COVID still around here around the corner you know what I mean like we are already risking so much to stand up for our people and to to speak out yeah and thank you yeah I mean the reason why I moved back home was because I, I needed a, a mental and physical break. And I've had to shift the way that I think about how I like maneuver daily. And so like going to protest for four days straight, I was tired. I was tired. And I had every intention of like starting out pastry boxes tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Like I was like, you know what, that's going to have to be put on hold again. You know? Yeah. Because I need to rest. There's just, like no possible physical way that I can just like jump back and do this. And yeah. I, and I know that I'm supposed to be working hard and like being out here and being this example, but yeah, I mean, we all, we all have to take care of ourselves. So exactly. That's from, that's, that was my point. Like you are, you are understanding standing up for yourself and speaking out is just as important as sitting down and taking a break and healing your mind and your body. Mm-hmm. Cause they're just, they're so important. And I, I just want to preach that to the black community. Hopefully they're listening <laughs> that your mental state is just as important as your body. I know we push ourselves and this goes back to our work ethics. We push ourselves and we are passionate and we are hardworking. You know what I mean? And we do a lot for, um, for our work and such. And it is just in, as important to take care of your body as it is to take care of your mind. So, you know what I mean? So, and there are so many beautiful outlets now, you know what I mean? There are so many advocates for mental health in the black community, which is brilliant, but I just want to use this as an, op- like, I just want to use this platform and say, yo, like, if you're thinking about things, cause it's, it's hard enough out here. It's hard enough being a human and it's hard enough being a black person. You know what I mean? So you want to talk about it. That's perfectly normal. And that's perfectly justified. You know what I mean? Because you are a human and if you need help, like it's okay and it's fine. And it's, ta- it's fine to feel your feelings and it's fine to talk about them. You know what I mean? So I'm just saying like, yo, it's okay. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. <laughs> It's okay. And I mean, it's even, you know, you saying that it's like having someone else reaffirm that for me, I'm like, well, shit, I'm, I'm over here stressed because I had this agenda that I needed to fulfill this. I'm like, check off these boxes at this certain time, but like, no, that has to wait. And, and it's okay if it waits because like you, we just really, really need to like check on ourselves. So yes, thank you for saying that. Um, and, and I really do hope that other people uh, say it louder for the people on the back. Mm-hmm. And also let's say it louder for not just our generation, but the ones above us. And I'm talking about our parents, yes. uh, 
generation who needs to hear it the most. Yes. You know, those are the people who have been taught not to show any emotion or not ask for help for anything. Yes. And I'm talking about my parents. I'm talking about your parents. Any, you know, just they work so hard and they do not have that same outlet and they don't understand that that outlet is available and that it's okay to yes. show, to, to let your guard down. That's yeah. perfectly healthy. My, my parents still ask me like, do you still go to therapy? Like, yeah, they whisper, so like quiet. therapy is a, is a, is a bad word. Right. Like, are you still doing that thing that you go talk to somebody and I'm like, no, but it's therapy and it's a real thing and you should do it too. Yeah. It's you know? so stigmatized in, oh in, in the black community and especially for black men. Yes. They, they need it the most, you know, we, we really need to like, uh, God, teach them, you know, like it's, it's okay. It's not going to make you any less of a human being or any less of a man or any less of a black man yes. to admit that you want to talk to somebody about your feelings. Yes. That good or bad. Nothing, you know what I mean? It, no, it, nowhere does it say that that is wrong. Yeah. Nowhere. It costs money. Yeah. But it is worth it. Yeah. Because you're, it, like I said, it doesn't have to cost money. It doesn't have to. Yeah. But it's worth it. It, yeah. it It's, it's like, if you get in an accident and you break your leg, you're not going to be like, oh, man, my leg's broken. Well, you know, right. like, okay, I'll just still walk on it. No, you're going to go to the doctor and you're going to try right. and fix it. <laughs> it's the same thing with your mind, yo. If there's something, yeah. uh, you know, quote, unquote, broken up in there, like, you you don't just be like, oh, well, there it is. You know well, what I mean? Like, whatever. You should, well, you know, you should do something about it. For sure. And I'm definitely curious about what the future generations are going to look like of Black men who when we're just acknowledging now that it's important for all of us to like seek mental health and, and, and appreciate our, our mental stability and, and like, you know, just to see what's going to happen when our children are the future and our grandchildren, you know, like what that looks like, like, what is that world going to look like 30, 40, 50 years from now? Yeah. I, I, I can't wait. You know, I, I pray that it's hell of a lot better than what's gone. Right now. Yeah. I mean, because Lord knows our ancestors fought for us to be here right now. You know what I mean? So I don't mind fighting for them later on. You know, it's, it's exactly what I say when I, when I go out there and I'm just like, Hey, they did it, but they had to do it far worse than what I have. Thank you for coming out um, and talking about important shit and yourself uh, because it's important. It's, it's important. It's important. I, was so excited to hear about this podcast when you told me about it um in person which was really awesome i miss seeing you in person um but thank you thank you it's it's nice to like to sit in this and this discomfort a little bit and you know some of those questions were uncomfortable to me to have to like think about those things you know so great to sit in it great to talk about it and let other people hear these stories and like hear our experiences, especially as black women in, in the industry. Um, so I really thank you for putting all this together, you know, and I'm so excited to see what's going to happen with it. I really appreciate your thoughts and your, your opinions and your voice and um, everything about it with you because you're a unicorn um, and you're also an incredible person. So that too. Thank you so much. Um, good luck with this. And it's not like I will never talk to you again. So. Yeah, girl, I'll just call you later. Next time I talk to you. This is me signing off. Uh, thanks again for coming out and listening to this week's episode. 
Uh, please follow my social media at Hungry Humble Pod on Twitter and Instagram for future episodes and notifications. You can also rate and review on Apple Podcasts or send feedback to hungryhumblepod at gmail.com if you're really feeling up for it. Um, all of this information will be down below in the description box. So I know this episode was hella long, y'all. Um, it was a record, um, but I wanted to uh, keep my promise in the sense of uh, I'm giving a song to every single person and dedicating it to them. This week, I chose Cranes in the Sky by Solange. Um, because me and Caitlin, first of all, Caitlin kind of looks like Solange. Uh, we always talk about that, <laughs> but second, uh, Caitlin admires Solange so much. Um, and it's amazing how similar they are in the fact that they're just so beautiful and talented and unapologetically black. <laughs> and, um, this album actually from which the, the song comes from a seat at the table, uh, is really empowering and, um, thoughtful about black culture and what it's like to be black today in America, um, among a lot of other things. So um, I thought it was really fitting, especially for all the topics that we talked about this week. So uh, this is Cranes in the Sky by Solange. Take it away, Solange. Thought moving around make me feel better 
Cry it away. Don't you cry? 